Okay, very happy to be back here with uh, Jackie Tanetti from Council of States Government West. Correct. How you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be here with you and uh, speaking with your listeners. We just met last night, actually yesterday for the first time, and we had an event for my, my other business, The Political Report, at the Narrows, and you, you and, was it Ed, what's his name? Edgar Ruiz. He's our executive director. And I was going to have both, both of you guys on, but he, he had to leave. He's early flight, huh? Yes, yes, yes. So excited to talk to you. I know when I first ran for office in 2012, I was kind of in politics a little bit, and I'd, I'd always hear about the CSG West or Council of State Governments West. So um, for the listeners and the folks maybe who aren't as involved in politics, talk talk about what CSG West is. And then I was reading on the website. I mean, it sounds like it's been around. The Council of State Government has been around for many, many, I mean, decades. It has. It was first created in 1933 by Henry Toll. And uh, he was a governor and legislator out of Colorado. We have very deep roots in Colorado, as, uh, as we do uh, across the nation. We, uh, in the West, were organized in 1947. This year, we're going to be celebrating our 75th annual meeting uh, in Boise, Idaho. Wow. Yeah. So how many states, how many, it's like West and East and there's divisions, right? Exactly. We are national, but organized regionally because so many of the issues we face in this country were vast. And the, 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 the issues that we face are uh, nuanced by our location. Mm -hmm. Water in the South, water in the East is very different from water in the West. And so our organization allows for those regional conversations uh, deeper understanding about our region, and also offers the opportunity for Western legislators to come together to work on solutions and learn from each other. I know for the for the Western states, you know, the, the federal government owns increasingly more land as states became states. Alaska, we said we struggle with this, you know, to a high degree. I mean, a huge amount of Alaska is owned by the Fed, but I grew up in New Mexico, and I think there was a sagebrush rebellion or back in the seventies, and it was this big pushback about all this, you know, federal land that was owned in all these states, Western states, which is very different than the Eastern states that are hundreds of years, you know, hundreds of more than 200 years old. You're exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up. Out in the West, most of the land is federally owned, and we have a great deal of um, deep interest in how those lands are managed, uh, particularly everything from... uh, 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 ESA species to ESA, uh, yeah, endangered species. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah, designations as well as fire. That's been our most recent uh, uh, experience. Uh, most of the public lands where some of these fires are breaking out are federally managed, federally, um, uh, uh, you know, owned, and mm-hmm. there's very little uh, opportunity for collaboration to meet these common threats. Uh, so most I think about is the, the Bundy situation and the other one in Oregon, you know, this mm. these kind of this fight about grazing and federal and... Um, correct, correct. You know, the public lands are uh, uh, put to use for the benefit of ranchers and uh, uh, all sorts of livestock operations. It's part of the Western tradition and heritage, but uh, there have been some tensions that have arisen from that. You mentioned water. Uh, I don't know if you saw 
it was probably three or four months ago, Bill Maher did a thing about water. Did you see that? I did not see that. So he basically said, you know, the East has this abundance of water and the West, like we should build uh, a water pipeline, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, one of our former Alaska governors, Wally Hickel, and it sounds kind of preposterous, but he had talked about uh, a water pipeline from Alaska to California because of the droughts and because we have, we have, you know, we have unlimited water up here. Yes, he did. And I will tell you, as a visitor from California, I am very envious of the precipitation, the, the snow. Uh, earlier this week, you had beautiful sunshine. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm quite envious of the, of the precip- precipitation you have. I think water issues are huge in the West, and they're only going to become more acute. Again, that's why we're here. We want to provide a space to bring leaders together from across the West to work together on these uh, issues and find larger solutions where that's possible. So how many states are part of the CSG West? CSG West, we have 13 states. We also serve the um, territories of America, Samoa, Guam, and the Mariana Islands. Oh, wow. That's, those are way out there. <laughs> they are. They are. So I assume New Mexico is one of the Western states, right? Correct. That's, that's where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you mentioned Colorado, the history in Colorado, but, um, and you're pretty new. I saw you just came to CSG recently. I joined in 2019. So this is right before the co- the COVID happened. That's absolutely right. What month did you start? I started in January of 2019. Okay, so you had a year of pretty normal before. I did. I did. So you're what's I saw on the website there. You have a kind of background in some state governments. What what have you done before, and then how did you get into I'm assuming you were familiar with CSG beforehand. I knew nothing about CSG West beforehand. Absolutely. I spent my career in state government in California. I was really fortunate to work with a lot of great, talented people, have some great mentors. Worked in a limited way with the legislature, but I was in the executive branch. In the state state government? In in the state government, working on issues around uh, alcohol and drug treatment and prevention, um, child support services, and uh, a few other areas. So, were you there with uh, Governor Arnold? I was. Were you really? I was. Did I you work was. with him? I did not work with him directly, but we um, had common tastes in restaurants, so we would run into each other occasionally out at lunch. Really, you when he was governor? When he was governor. So when he was governor, this is actually a great topic. He's obviously a famous movie star, but when you're all of a sudden you're in the government, you know you have to. Like I've been in D.C. before, not a lot, but I was down there. Um, in January, January of 20, before COVID kind of happened. And I was talking to my friends who works for Senator Murkowski. And there was, at the time there was, um, I got invited to the Senator's dining room and it's kind of a prestigious, you know, you have to be a Senator, I guess, or a chief of staff. And they have this kind of like, it's an old traditional thing and they have this bean soup and it's really, anyways, we're like there. Have you been there? I have not, but I've heard about the Senate Navy bean soup. Well, so we're in there, and there's like Senator Whitehouse, Senator Feinstein, you know, Senator Gillibrand, like they're all. And then right across from us, 10 feet, is Drew Brees with the senator. uh, Oh, I'm blanking his name. One of the the senior senator from Louisiana. But they're having like lunch with Drew Brees' family. And and I, I I said to them, I said, I know the answer to this, but like I can't ask him to take a picture, right? And they were like, no, you cannot. Oh. And, and and they were explaining to me that there's all these different people, movie stars and athletes from in DC for different pr- purposes for you know issues or they're advocating for something and you know you can't you can't 
like never take a picture. I mean, it's not like that. So when Arnold Schwarzenegger is governor, I mean, I'm sure everybody probably wants to get a picture with him or to talk to the Terminator. I mean, how, how'd that work? Many did. What we noticed was the influx of uh, German and Austrian tourists to Sacramento. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah everybody wanted to come and see um, Arnold and uh, experience uh, what he brought to the Capitol. It was uh, exciting times. I think we were all a little bit starstruck when we meet celebrities. And uh, But after a while, the, the business of governing seems to take over. And mm-hmm. have a ha, has a life as, of its own, so um, it became uh, not n- not as much uh, uh, glamorous as it was. You know, he moved into that governor he, role. He, he won in that weird kind of that recall with Gray Davis, and and then you you guys in California are always doing the. We do these here too. Recently, when I mean, we start the recall things come to Alaska, but they tried it with Newsom. But we it's it's kind of parallel with the recall and then the other candidates yes. for governor, which is weird. So you, okay, vote for recall. Okay, yes, and then vote for one of these people. And I think there was a bunch. There were, and it, it was confusing. I think that, you know, as a voter, I was certainly confused, and I had to do a lot of thinking and research about how, how do I vote. The, the question was, uh, do you, and I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me if I don't get mm-hmm. it, uh, exact, but uh, there were two questions. One, do you support uh, recalling Governor Newsom? Yes or no? And then the next one, uh, the next set of questions was, if he asked, what do you, who do you want to uh, replace the governor with? There was a big list, right? It, it was, was a very long list. I think uh, seven or nine names. I remember Caitlyn Jenner was the one everybody was yes. talking about. The, that video, um, that campaign video, they kind of took off on Twitter and, and social media. Yes, yes, yes. Again, the celebrity uh, coming into the politics in California. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I think that a lot of people were confused about that. And uh, but the the recall was uh, pr- pretty handily defeated, and uh, and so that did not play out as as um, uh, you know in in terms of deciding on a on a successor. We didn't see how that played out. But that, that's, I think that's how, how Schwarzenegger got in, right? Correct. Correct. And the, I, th- I think the field was even larger, but with his name recognition and, you know, um, being able to uh, announce your candidacy on late night TV uh, really, really mm-hmm. overtook the field. Do you, do you think, I mean, I, I, from my observation far away, he seemed like a pretty effective governor. Um, well, I mean, well, I don't know if you want to get into politics of it, but uh, he seemed to kind of surprised a lot of people. I, I think he did. Well, one, he came from a background where, you know, a very bipartisan family, right? His wife is a, a longtime Democrat from a mm-hmm. Democratic dynasty here in America. and uh, But he's always been very clear about his own Republican, rather centrist um, uh, uh, views and approaches to, to governing. And uh, I, I think he was pretty true to that. He didn't, he wasn't, in my opinion, which is very humble and, and not at all qualified, uh, he certainly he certainly tried to govern from the center. It seemed and uh, and and tried to leave a, a a legacy of problem solving. I think a lot of people forget. Um, I mean, I, I was born in '84, but you know, Reagan came from California. Yes, in California, I think we a lot of us see it as a very progressive, liberal, democratic state. But there's Northern California is is pretty conservative, and you know, Reagan was. And then on Schwarzenegger too, more recently. But you know, Ray, I actually just started reading this book by um, 
Paul Schweitzer, Reaganland. Mm. He, he, there's Nixonland and Reagan. It's a whole series of books, but um, it's it's. I think people kind of maybe sometimes forget that California isn't you know, the city. Big cities, I think, in Southern California are probably more democratic, but there's parts of California that are that are actually quite conservative. You're absolutely correct. There are, and you know, California has changed quite a bit. I think it mirrors a lot of demographic changes that other states have seen, particularly with a migration, folks moving from one part of the country to another for a different quality of life. Perhaps the cost of living is more affordable. Um, We've seen, seen that in the recent census. I mean, yes. um, people are moving to Texas and Florida. They're getting more Congress, you know, people in Congress, and then the New York's losing mm-hmm. some of these Democrats. People are moving to different states. Yes, yes. And I think that, you know, the shift in California, so, for example, in the 1980s, uh, it was very Republican still, and um, uh, hotly uh, contested uh, districts and races statewide. The strongholds were mostly in the South, so San Diego, Southern California, Orange County. I was thinking of Orange County as yes. like the Republican yes. part of California, yes. Southern California. And that really shifted, and so we are seeing that the more rural areas uh, tend to uh, vote Republican and have some very strong conservative views. And uh, but in California, we have a supermajority. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that, that, that presents its own challenges. So California has the assembly yes, for this legislature, but then they have a s- Senate. Is it the whole thing's the assembly or? We have a one house is the assembly. The other house is the Senate. So that's confused. So, so, so I was looking at the CSG website and they have every state. You can kind of see the structures of, you know, the executive and that structure and the legislative and the judici- judiciary as well and how they. Like we, you know, we have very unique Alaska with our judiciary, judicial system with the the, the judicial council. Yes, yes, you do. So, so I want to get back to California. Just California. I don't want to stay in that too long, but uh, Alaska is like three times bigger than California, mm-hmm. but we only have seven hundred thousand people. I mean, is that kind of that must be mind boggling? It is. It is. I have not seen enough of this beautiful state, uh, and I intend to rectify that soon. But I think that you know one of the challenges is exactly that. How, how do you communicate and how do you connect with communities? How do you understand what is happening out in, you know, this beautiful, beautiful place? Across the West, you'll find that rural-urban divide. And mm-hmm. I think you have some of it here with the larger cities of Anchorage and Fairbanks and Juneau. And then vast swaths of villages and small towns where... Um, you know, the, the, the life is very rural and uh, having access to services, to internet, uh, to transportation uh, has, has, is very challenging. There's a, there's a saying that if you, if you get 30 minutes outside of Anchorage, you get to Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So when you came to CSG uh, and you, you, you have under your, I guess, portfolio or your, your role as uh, Alaska and Idaho. Correct. So you, you, those are your two, so did they kind of thrust that on you or did you know you were going to be getting into that when you applied or when you, how'd that, how'd that work? Well, it was actually, Alaska was a shock. I, uh, I applied and part of what we do uh, at CSG West is uh, establish liaison so that each state has a single point of contact. We want to, our role is to be supportive and provide resources. We can't really do that if our members don't know who to reach out to. So that's what we do. We try to make sure that folks know who to call. I, sp- I also specialize in, in natural resources, but I work with 
colleagues who specialize in education, health policy, public safety, education, workforce development, a whole host of uh, policy areas that our members are working on at any given time. So even though I may be the point of contact, I can connect them with their policy area speciality as needed uh, if it falls without, you know, outside of my purview. So do you have some examples or maybe stories of different legislators or government officials in different Western states meeting and then some, something happens, something comes out of it, or there's some maybe a similar issue and then there's some collaboration? Well, I can, I can give you an example. And uh, she's from right here in Alaska, uh, the late Senator Betty Ferencamp. She really embodied uh, and was unafraid to uh, reach out and work across borders uh, outside of her state and look for regional solutions. Her example and her work uh, was is really a profound legacy uh, to the West. And consequently, when she passed, uh, our members, who are all legislators, uh, came together and created an annual award to... Um, to give to legislators who walk in those same shoes, who are unafraid to uh, reach out and work across uh, borders, across the aisles, uh, to uh, discover and create regional solutions where that's possible. And uh, I'm happy to say that the award has been around for several years, and uh, I'm happy to share a list of, of uh, uh, previous awardees um, in, Bo- in Boise, we'll be awarding it yet again to another uh, uh, member who embodied uh, her legacy and uh, her her tenacious spirit. She has a room over there in the in the Capitol. The Ferrant, she Ferrant does. Room. She does. And in fact, we host our our luncheon there, um, and uh, it's a great space to be. That Capitol is full of history, and uh, it's a, it's a wonderful place to to spend some time and reflecting on all the great things that Alaska has, has seen and Alaskans have uh, wrought and uh, look forward to uh, what, what, will, what will be. Now, you, you talked about um, kind of collaboration and reaching, reaching across and talking to folks. I know this country has been very you know, polarized in the last you know, seven or eight years, but even longer. I know you've only been with CSG for three years, but, I mean, is that, is that being seen at all that polarization on these you know bigger organizations that are comprised of all kinds of people from all kinds of part you know political backgrounds or party affiliations we saw the polarization be uh really within the beltway back east in washington uh we we are seeing it more and more in our state houses and uh, i think that you know many members uh, regardless of their affiliation uh, express some some uh, concern about that. Uh, they're looking for ways to uh, reestablish some civility and uh, reach some common ground, and I find that very hopeful. But that's what that's what led me to CSG West. I really wanted to understand what was happening in my country, what was happening uh, in our political and uh, uh, parties in our state houses, and uh, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. It's really crazy how I've been, over, you know, I've been doing this a long time, media, but it's in politics, and you start to look at these different states and how they, how they structure their governments, and uh, I think Nebraska has, you know, one body, and that came out of kind of the whole, um, I forget the term, but turn of the century, kind of some of the corruption going on, and they restructured their government, but uh, I mean, California has 
hundreds, right? I mean, how many in the Assembly and the Senate? We do. We have, Ed, we're one of the only professional full-time um, legislatures. Which, I, so. which I've been saying for years, we should be in Alaska, I think, because we have a quote-unquote citizen legislature, mm-hmm. but it's really not because a regular citizen if it, with a job and especially a family and kids, it's very, very difficult. It's three months, you know, technically, but it's really four and there's these special sessions and it's five and six. So I, for a long time, said I think we should pay them 150000 no other job, kind of like with California. I don't know what the salary range is there. I think it's here it's 50 mm-hmm. and some per diem. But like I said, it doesn't really, the per diem more or less covers living in Juneau. Yeah. And then other states, some other states are very different. They pay almost nothing. I think New Mexico, where I'm from, I, I recall they, they get paid like 100 bucks. Or, I mean, it's very little money. Yes, you're absolutely correct. And California is really exceptional in that way. Across the West, you're going to find those citizen legislatures, uh, often unpaid or paid per diem, no staff or maybe one staff. And uh, that's another reason why we're here. We really want to serve. We consider ourselves an extension of our members' staff. So if they are working on an issue, a policy area, they want to understand hey, how did another state deal with this? What was their experience? What was their solution? Did it work? Is it something that we can look at adapting to our needs? So we want to be able to connect folks like that. And uh, uh, we recognize that our legislators are very challenged in terms of time and resources. So to the extent that we can fill that need, we're happy to do so. What, What does Idaho's government look like, legislature? I have no idea. Well, it's bicameral, so you have the House and you have the Senate, and uh, in turn... The the numbers. The numbers. Oh, I'm going to fail that pop quiz. I'm sorry. Uh, It is large. Uh, You know, I will tell you that Juneau is is home to the smallest legislature in the West. So We only have 60 members. You do. Which I've always thought, um, you know, we've had 60 since statehood, 1959, and at statehood, I think we had 200 and over 200,000 people. Now, now we have you know, over 700, about 700,000 people. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like we should increase it, you know, representation-wise. But then there's talk about, oh, you got to pay, and this, you got to re- reapportion. So I think we're going to be at 60 for a while. But, um, yeah, it's very interesting how, you know, this, I guess the laboratories of democracy, different states do, you know, they develop and create their systems independently. And, and you know, but Alaska is interesting too because we have from from our civil code, uh, we basically they just when they made Alaska territory, they just kind of copied Oregon's. Mm-hmm. So my friend's a lawyer, so he's always saying you see all these weird references to like Oregon, and, and our you know, statutes that have been left over from from a hundred some years ago. Well, I, and I will tell you that Montana has one of the I think I believe the largest um, legislative body. So it's uh, it it really does vary across the state. And uh, Idaho is larger than um, Alaska for sure, but not as large as Montana. So each state is very different. I know. I think the biggest one in the country is New Hampshire. I think they have that really weird one where they have, it's like 400 and some people in the, and then they have 26 or 28 senators, but they have like a 400 person, you know, super small state. You can drive across the thing in like an hour, I think. Mm -hmm. Where here it's way, you know, super different. It is. It is. And, you know, uh, you, you spoke of uh, assemblies rather than house, houses of representatives. Uh, California isn't unique there. Nevada also has an assembly and a Senate. So it, it, 
every every state has evolved its political institutions and traditions um, in, in in some different ways, and it's fascinating. We have a saying that if you've been to one state, you've been to one state, and uh, you can't really um, compare how things operate in 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 Juno in Alaska to how things uh, operate in Montana or New Mexico. It's the, the, there's so much more nuance and flavors that get into the mix. And unless you go and experience it for yourself, it's very difficult to convey what that looks like. And some, some states do a, their budget every two years instead of here it's every year. And we have a very unique, we have this thing in our constitution about dedicated funds. And uh, I know some states have funds for education or funds for what, you know, whatever, but um, I know some Western states do the every every two years. I think Wyoming does that. They do every a budget every other year. As does Nevada, and they will have uh, interim sessions when uh, uh, to look at certain policy issues or some technical matters that need to be taken up. But in terms of having a full session every year, it doesn't happen. California would be uh, uh, not an example of that. We pass a budget every year. Uh, the appropriations are made on an annual basis, and so that's how that works. Again, you, the you, states are different. You follow our unique thing here with a sweep, reverse sweep. Have you seen, heard about that? That's a little weird one. I have heard about it. I'm st- I'm still trying to understand it. I, I I won't I won't hide hide that from you or your listeners. I think that you know uh, another unique aspect of Alaska is the PFD. And, oh yeah. And it, you know, super the, unique. <laughs> it, it is very unique, and um, uh, I, I, you know, the challenges associated with that are unique. And I think that, um, you know, the the efforts to navigate those challenges is um, ongoing, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where things land. We have a lot of Republicans here that, if you didn't know they were Republican, specifically on the PFD issue, and somebody heard them talk, you would think they were a very progressive Democrat, you know, yeah. because, because they want the government to be getting that check. And, you know, it's a very unique issue that makes people, you have some Democrats that are for it and some that are against it. You have some Republicans that are for it, some that are against, you know, against raising it or this formula. And, and it was vetoed by our former governor in 2016, which created the kind of issue, you know, the, the problem we're in now, which persists every year. It's this big fight over how much it's going to be. And now right now though, price of oil's up, which hurts, people, consumers and gas prices. But for Alaska, when the price of oil goes up, a lot of people get very excited. They do. They do. And, and understandably so. When I was here in 2020, not only was the pandemic bearing down on Alaska, so too were crumbling uh, oil prices. And it was really, really a difficult time back then. They were for a while, so because of some futures problem, they were below zero. Yeah. They were negative. Yeah. Which had never happened. We, we, yeah, we had never seen that before. And I think a lot of uncertainty, uh, not knowing what the future held. We're in a very different place today. And, um, uh, but again, uh, you know, oil revenues go up, but I have friends here in town and they say, it's wonderful. But until I get to the gas pump and I have to mm-hmm. fill up my tank because my prices are going up. Uh, at the pump, uh, w- along with the the price of crude, so it can it, it, it can be it can be a blessing with some pain as well. You mentioned COVID. I was going to ask you. I mean, obviously, last you probably know last year we shut our capital down to everybody except 
legislative staff and the media, which I was pretty lucky. I have a media credential, so I was able to get in. Otherwise, you know, nobody else could get in. What were other states doing? Idaho, for example, or California? What were other states doing in their capitals? Was it similar? Were, were they open? Were they it was very, a mask? Or? It was very similar. Uh, a lot of folks closed. You know, at the beginning of the, uh, the pandemic, we really didn't understand this disease. There was a lot of uncertainty. So uh, what we did know of... Uh, each legislature, the legislative leaders, really work together to try to figure out what do we do? What is the right thing to do, given what we know? More importantly, what we don't know. This is, I'm speaking about the early days of the, of the pandemic. And uh, many, many capitals were closed down. Many staff were working remotely or, you know, m- taking precautions. I'm sure that visitors to Juno still see the plexiglass, the signs about distancing, uh, some folks are are asking folks to mask up before you go into the doors. Others um, are not so concerned about whether or not you're wearing a mask. And I think that people have found their way. But early days, uh, many capitals were shut down. We didn't understand what the danger was and how to mitigate it entirely. So um, we we when we left Juno in 2020, what was happening in California, where we're based. Uh, the entire Bay Area region had shut down, just completely. Wow. There was no work. And we thought that was huge. Well, the world shut down shortly thereafter. And so I think coming back from that um, gives a lot of us hope. Um, you know, being able to be back in Juneau is uh, certainly something that uh, has raised my spirits. And uh, we're able to visit more states than not. In fact, I think we'll be able to visit all of our states because the restrictions have been lifted. And we seem to be able to be managing the risk safely. And I hope that doesn't change. It was for a while. We had in the Senate and the House chambers, they had the plexiglass up. And that's been taken down, a lot of those. But it was was really weird being in that building in, in the Capitol there last year without seeing anybody except legislators and staff, whereas now you go in there and you see all kinds of people coming in. And keeping uh, people safe, I think, was job one. But then we still had work to do, and legislators still needed to be able to work, be able to pass bill, debate and pass a vote on bills. And we worked a great deal with all of our states to figure out how to do that. Some rules uh, were modified. Some rules were suspended. Some rules... um, weren't we tried to, they, they tried our legislators tried to there was talk about passing a remote voting bill they didn't end up doing that and i mean some good questions got raised and i, I thought about some things too if, if you're in a room and you're you're voting well, who's in the room with you who's behind the camera who's who, who might you know have some influence over the vote whereas you know if you're in person you, you know you can see everybody so but we i think some other states did pass remote voting they did. We didn't do that. We were it, it was discussed and it was talked about, but it never actually, which makes it. I mean, when you think about it. I mean, it's so it's almost just like you know, hundreds of years ago. I mean, you have to be there, and even though we have the ability to not do that, we still, you know, Alaska at least, we require you to be there to for the for the purpose of voting on a bill. You know, in the in the in the, in the floor, you have to be you have to be there present. Correct, correct, and I think that we're still learning. I think that uh, some issues will probably be revisited in terms of efficiency, in terms of like a state like Alaska where travel can be so difficult. And uh, uh, it might make sense. I don't know. I think the good people of Alaska will make that 
determination. And uh, but I think that we we are still unpacking the experience and we're still making sense of it. I I expect that there'll be more changes just going forward. We've learned so much. We've learned that some things we do, we won't need to do. And we've also learned that some of the things that we did made a lot of sense and really helped make a bad situation less worse than it needed to be. And a lot of people, including myself, have become Zoom experts. I agree. We uh, I, could, I could write a book on how to use Zoom now. I have a book club we started, too, a year and a half ago, and you know we use Zoom for that. So I've, I've really become somewhat of a Zoom uh, master. I didn't know what Zoom was before the pandemic, so... That tells you where I was at. And like you, I've become an expert. We had to, um, you know, our our whole reason for being is to bring people together. We couldn't do that during the pandemic. But we did still want to have a venue for conversation. We switched from, uh, we were going to have our annual meeting in Jackson, Wyoming. That was that was scratched. It's a great, great place. Love, it is. Love, love that. Love Jackson. It is. Well, many hearts were broken. Uh, but uh, we, we, we pivoted to a, a virtual annual meeting, and we used those sort of platforms for the first time. Uh, we had a two-day meeting. We wouldn't do that today. I don't think anybody would sit down for a two-day uh, meeting. Uh, but it's, uh, just, it's just not even close to the same. When yeah. You're around people, and you can pull somebody aside, or when you're it's just not even – you, know, you don't, I don't think you – comprehend or take in the information even the same way yeah and in those early days we were very much focused we didn't have vaccines so we were focusing on vaccine development where that was at um and uh what what uh trying to give folks a sense of how were things developing what is the pandemic response and how long you know will we have to take these extreme mitigation uh measures to stay safe when will we have things like vaccines and other therapeutics that will make us safe again to be together uh it was a great experience i hope i never have to do that again though yeah well it was a once in a hundred years hopefully so yeah hopefully everybody around today will with the exception of some very young people (laughs) will have to be around again for Something like that. Well, I know that, you know, many states, and I, I believe that Alaska was among those, were really challenged by their existing statutes around emergency declarations and what needed to be in them. And, yeah. you know, how do you make a pandemic situation fit with uh, with uh, language that was really written to address forest fires and uh, tsunami dangers, flooding? Um, and it, it, Alaska and many other states were challenged in that way. Yeah, well, it's um, it's great. It's, it's been great chatting. I mean, you're, you're you're right. You talk about all these different states and issues and how they impact the state and how they're all unique. And a lot. I was going to ask how many people work at. I was looking at the website. It seems like a lot of people are employed there. Well, it depends on the offices that you're looking at. Our Center of Innovation and our Justice Center, uh, they they have a, a very robust a portfolio of programs, and they have a lot of staff. Uh, it's been great to see that uh, sort of ramp up over the past few years. In Sacramento, to serve the West, we have a group of about 10 people. Okay, so not, not, not huge, but... No, 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 not huge, but we, we, try, to, um, we try to wear many hats. And yeah. so, for example, I'm the liaison for Idaho and Alaska. 
I work on the natural resources portfolio and policy areas. And, um, you know, would I need to? I, I, I'll step in and do some other things. I was fortunate to uh, partner with the Casey Family Foundation to provide some training to legislators when I first joined uh, CSG West on uh, foster care and uh, really kinship foster care. So there were some federal changes uh, made to foster care across, that affected all states. There was some money available to implement those changes. We really wanted to get that in front of legislators so that they can improve the services and uh, hopefully increase family uh, reunification or family stability with kinship fostering. Cool. So that was a great experience outside of my my natural resources world, but uh, issues very close to my heart I was able to work on. I saw on the website the Edgar guy, the, the director who left this morning, he's been there for a long time, Twenty, I think 2011, did it say? Yes, yes, about 22 years or 21 years, and uh, he really is uh, the face of CSG West. Um, nice guy. He, he is. He is. Uh, he's uh, very well respected and very well liked. And so much of the goodwill that I get to enjoy when I come to Juno and I go to Boise um, is because of the great work that uh, folks uh, uh, before me have done, the relationships we've cultivated, and of course, what Edgar does. You know, in the West, we are very unique in many ways. We share two international borders. So our programming uh, tries to address that. In fact, Senator Tom Begich is co-chair of our Canada Relations uh, Committee. Oh. And, you know, that relationship uh, with Alaska and Canada is so key. We learned that through the pandemic, through the border closings, through yeah. the supply chain challenges that we've experienced. And having those relationships and being able to have that dialogue is so important. And we really are grateful for for the opportunity to have Senator Begich and other great Alaskan uh, legislators a part of that team to uh, move that forward for the benefit of the people of Alaska. Yeah, I mean, to drive to Juneau, we, uh, you have to go through Canada if you get on the ferry. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very, very unique situation. It is, it is, and you're not going to find that uh, in any other place in the West. So, um, you know, we try to um, we try to have those those avenues that are particular to a state's uh, circumstances. That's, that's the one thing I think, I've been here since 04 in Alaska. The one thing that always gets me or makes makes me feel compared to New Mexico is in New Mexico, or if you're in California, you can get in the car and you can drive five hours and you're in a different state or you're in a different city. You just can't do that here, especially yeah. in Juneau. You're really, really stuck. But even in Anchorage, you know, it's, it's a 15, 13, 14, 15 hour drive to the border and then you got to drive two or three days to back to the you know Montana or Washington. It's it's very uh, trapped kind of feeling here. Yeah, it, it it's quite it's quite different from my experience being part of the lower forty eight and in California we drive everywhere, and uh, you know to hear folks talk about oh yeah I put the car on the ferry and shipped it back home and uh, that's just not something we do unless we're moving to another country, but here. It's 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 part of yeah. what living in Alaska means. So I mean, I, guess I, was, I assume Hawaii is in CSG West too, right? Yes, they're real, they're real West. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have a whole different set of. It's a whole different podcast, I think. On <laughs> they do. That's they where do. all the Alaskans go. I think for vacation, we all have love love to go to Hawaii for vacation. And I don't blame you one bit. Although I have to say that um, 
uh, Alaska is such a beautiful place. I can't imagine, particularly in the summer, being anywhere else oh, but Alaska. Yeah. It's a really good book if you... We read it for our book club last year. It's called uh, Going to Extremes by a guy named Joe McGinnis. And he came, you should read it. He came here in the 70s and spent a couple of years, never been never been here before. He'd written a book about Nixon before, so he was kind of well-known. And got on the ferry, came to Juneau, spent, you know, a year over, I think almost two years in Alaska. Um, and he was in Fairbanks and Bethel and Anchorage and Barrow, all these places. But in the book about Juneau, he wrote that he spent a lot of time here. And he said, Juneau... Juno's the kind of place where if you're there for a week in the summer, you'll want to spend the rest of your life there. But if, if you're there for, for a week in the winter, you'll give up a year of your life to get out for a weekend. I I can't agree with that. I have to say, I, I am... St- stick, around, stick around for a few weeks in the, in I, the winter. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I'm normally here in January. We try to get in right when the session starts. And, um, you know, the COVID reopening has sort of slowed our timetable down. But I'm usually here in the wintertime. I love it. It's so beautiful. And I've never had better food, particularly the halibut. I'm eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, got, it's just, you know, you can't find it anywhere else in the we, world. We got, we got plenty of that, so you can take some back with you. Thank you. I will. Well, well Jackie, it was really good talking to you. And uh, I, I like the different perspective. I think it was fun talking about different states and uh, how things work in different areas. And uh, like I said, I think... Most people around here have heard of CSG West, so it's, um, it's an organization that I think has a lot of involvement and impact here in our state. Thank you, Jeff. I'm just delighted you asked me to be here and so happy to spend some time with you and your listeners. I hope you have us back next year when we're Yeah, when next we're here time again. I'd like to have Edgar on. He's, he, he, he couldn't make it, but he's, he's... I think that would be excellent. He, I'll he, let him know. Oh, to pass, pass it along next time he's in town to look me up. I will do that. Okay, Jack, well, I really appreciate talking to you, and I uh, hope you have a safe trip back from, from Juneau tomorrow. Thank you so much. Yeah. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.